Welcome to the Baseball STL Podcast. J.J. Bailey here with you from the home studio in Lake Worth, Florida. Cardinals are just days away from wrapping up spring camp. This podcast brought to you by Dave Sinclair Ford, and I am joined today by Mike Bailey, minor league beatman and all-around baseball scribe. Mike, how are we doing? Doing great. Well, the Cardinals have three games left on the Grapefruit League schedule. Uh, they end it Thursday in Tampa against the Yankees, and this episode will be kind of wrapping down what we've learned, what our takeaways are, what the big questions are from Cardinal Camp, so I'll jump right into it. Uh, we'll start with the camp headlines. First headline, probably the biggest headline, I would say Johnny Peralta's injury. Yeah, that hurt the Cardinals in a couple of ways. Number one, he has uh, like 38 home runs over the past two years, and I did a column that the Cardinals lost over the season about a third of all the home runs they had last year, counting some of Peralta's, Mark Reynolds, Jason Hayward, etc. So the Cardinals don't have a lot of power to begin with, and now they have even less. Uh, his glove was probably not a plus glove, but it wasn't a bad glove. And so what they've done now, of course, is, is bring in Ruben Tejada. Uh, he looks adequate, uh, but no power. Yeah, that's the issue with Tejada, too, is that, you know, you needed a better glove than maybe what Jed Jorko provided in a full-time role. Greg Garcia maybe needed a little bit better bat. And then, you know, Ledmiz Diaz was a guy that a lot of people liked, myself included. He looked much better. But uh, what you needed was a major league shortstop to kind of bridge the gap, and that's that's what Tejada gives you. He's not going to blow the doors off with the power, but hopefully you think you can get a little bit off the bench from Jorko or Brandon Moss or Matt Adams or or really whoever we have down there. And that's kind of something we'll get to the a uh, little bit later in the podcast is this is a bench that they haven't really had before. But moving from Peralta's injury, uh, very early news, and one that you've written about extensively on the Baseball STL app and KMOV.com is Jose Akendo, the, the secret weapon, is not going to be with the team at least to start the season for the foreseeable future and possibly maybe this could be it. Yeah, we talked to him this morning. Uh, he's on crutches. He's had two knee surgeries. The rehab is apparently not going well. He's not healing well. Mike Matheny joked that he said uh, he wanted him to stay and, and coach from the bench and that he would carry him piggyback if he had to back and forth. But Jose wants to do everything or nothing, and that's certainly understandable. People think that, that he's just the infield instructor in third base, but what they don't realize is he has two other really important functions. One is the positioning of infield uh, players based on scouting reports. He is the one that puts them where they are. Anybody that's watched Cardinal games – uh, you have to marvel at how sometimes Cardinals are standing right exactly where they need to be. And the second thing that really hurts is that he's he's like a father figure to a lot of the Latin players, Yadier Molina included. In fact, Okendo said he's like my son. Um, the, the thing that, that Okendo does really well is he understands the culture of the Latin player a little better perhaps than, than any other staff member on the Cardinals, and he's the guy that a lot of them like to go to and talk to, and, and then he can bring issues to Matheny if, if that's necessary. So that's going to be gone, and that, that's going to hurt. Well, and it's like, it's like anything. It's like a recipe. You change one ingredient, you don't know exactly how it's going to affect the final product. And for a guy that handles a lot of things – that are not in public view, uh, losing Okendo can, can change the dynamic of the clubhouse and at the same time can also change a lot of these defensive positionings, like you mentioned, and for a team that is increasingly pitching to contact, that'll, that'll be a crucial role as these 
you know, as Bill Miller, as uh, Chris Maloney steps into these roles, that's going to be huge because these are these are pitchers that aren't power strikeout guys. Not all of them. A lot of them get ground balls, uh, don't give up a lot of home runs. They make their hay uh, with the fielders behind them. So each move carries a lot of consequence, and you see, you want to see how the team adjusts from that. And speaking of defense and speaking of positioning, possibly the most talked about storyline from this spring has been left fielder Matt Holiday. He of 1,600 career games in left field and only left field has been playing first. And this move from a notion to a novelty to something the franchise appears pretty committed to explore. He's made several starts over there. He's started over Matt Adams. He started over Brandon Moss. Uh, he's given He's been given just about as many reps as they can manage with him over at first base. And it seems like they're serious, uh, although I don't know how serious they should be. You took a look at him at first base. You've seen him there. What are your thoughts? I think he's a left fielder. He's not a first <laughs> baseman. Uh, you give credit to Matt Adams. Uh, I'm sorry, Matt Holiday, because he wants to learn a new position. He wants to extend his career. He wants to help the club, and he saw a need there, and he was willing to try it. I think that's a good thing for a player to have. It sets a good example for the rest of the team, but he is not a first baseman. He, he played adequately there, but, you know, uh, Kyle Schwarber for the Cubs played adequately in left field until the playoffs, and then he was exposed. I'm afraid that over the course of a season, uh, Matt Holliday at first is not a tableau that the fans would enjoy seeing. I think Matt Adams is the right guy there. I think they're right to have competition. Uh, I don't see Matt Holliday playing first base on a regular basis. Well, and the idea behind it was, of course, uh, one, for Matt Holliday to make him more versatile as his career uh, enters its twilight. Another is to give the Cardinals another uh, lineup look configuration that they can run out against lefties. Lefties, they obviously, you know, everybody who's watched Cardinal baseball the last five years, they can't hit lefties. Any lefty is Sandy Koufax. Uh, this would give Mike Matheny the option to run an all-right-handed outfield out there in Piscotty and right, Grichik in center, Pham and left, and then an extra righty in Matt Halliday over at first base to give him a, a little bit more versatility in coming up with a counter to what has been the team's offensive Achilles heel, which is left-handed pitching. But speaking about the offense, today, uh, which is we're recording this on Monday, so the Cardinals had beat the Mets 3-1 and looked a little bit more lively at the plate. But overall – have not looked particularly fearsome on the offensive side of the ball here in spring. Now, Jupiter uh, plays very strange balls that would normally leave most major league parks, seem to kind of sputter out at the track, and we've seen a couple of those already uh, just this in the last couple of games. But looking at a team that won 100 games but was uh, generously a middling offense, uh, there has not been a whole lot this spring that would quell the fears of can this lineup score enough runs. The issue is not so much batting average. It, it's the ability, and in this case, the inability to drive runners in. The Cardinals had eight hits the other day and scored, uh, I think, two runs. They left eight men on base in the first four innings uh, in yesterday's ball game. They hit the ball hard today but only got three runs, and one of those was Holiday's home run. It's not so much that, that they don't hit for a, a fairly decent average. They were right in the middle of the pack last year. Uh, at, I think they were at 255. Uh, they, I think they were sixth in the National League in batting average. So it's not the batting average. It's the, it's the inability to drive in runs. And here's where that's really important. It puts a tremendous strain on the pitching staff. They have to be very fine. They, can't, they will not 
have a four-run lead very often to work with. They've got to keep those those at-bats down to a minimum for the other team because the more men they put on base, the further they get behind. Cardinals do not have the ability to come back. No, and, I, well, and they have, ideally, you know, that's what the signing of Jed Jorko was hopefully going to address. That's what Brandon Moss, you know, at, at full strength, Matt Adams at full strength, Matt Holiday at full strength, hopefully would address those issues. Randall Gritchick at full strength. That's another thing is this is a lineup that on paper should hit plenty of home runs. Haven't seen them, and, and a lot of that has been due to the fact that their best power swingers have been on the DL. Uh, but you mentioned the pitching, and that's kind of the final, uh, I guess, headline that we'll cover here in this opening segment is, is for the most part, the pitching looks A-OK. This is uh, Adam Wainwright has wa- rounded into form, feels very comfortable. Carlos Martinez just finished a evisceration of the Mets lineup today. He looked unhittable for most of the day. Uh, Mike Leak has settled in and looks like he's going to be very, very tough to handle, especially with someone as creative as Yadier Molina calling the pitches and the way that he pitches where he stretches the corners. That should be um, an effective combination. One of the issues, though, and the bullpen, I could run through all the names, but they, for the most part, look pretty effective, barring Seth Manis, who has gotten slapped around a little bit, but that happens to him in spring. He's a guy that is a field pitcher and it takes a while to find that field but Michael Waka from the starting rotation has been sort of the outlier I would say um, of that starting staff in that he has yet to find the command of his pitches and we are rapidly running out of time in spring and running out of innings he looks like a guy who could use a couple more weeks to sharpen up Walker is clearly not ready, and I don't know from watching him if he's working on a, a new form of delivery or a different pitch, but his mechanics don't look sound. He doesn't, he doesn't look comfortable on the mound, and I think he's still trying to find that. Carlos looked fantastic, as you said. He's also learned to keep himself under control. He's very proud of that. Uh, Wainwright looks okay, but, you know, the last time that he missed an entire season, the year after he came back, he was about a 500 pitcher. So don't expect him to just dominate the way that he has in the past till at least the middle of the season. Jaime Garcia's looked good, uh, but he has an injury history. So on paper right now and the way that they're pitching, other than Walker, I think their, their starting rotation is fine. I'm very impressed with Mike Leak. I think he'll be a John Lackey in Bush Stadium. There'll be a lot of balls hit, but if defense plays, um, he's going to do fine. I, I really like him. I, I, he's going to replace Lackey's innings, and I believe he'll replace Lackey's wins. Well, and Leak's a very interesting fit in this clubhouse. He's uh, an unusual personality. He seems kind of at ease all the time. He says what's on his mind. Interviews kind of come off as stream of consciousness, um, which could be an interesting interjection into a staff that is built on intense competition, on intense almost one-upsmanship, and the weight room and the batting cages on the mound. Um, so he's kind of an interesting fit in this clubhouse. Uh, you know, He joins Brian Pena, a guy he's, he's played with before. Both of them seem to have really settled in uh, with the rest of the team. One note on the the Wainwright mention: the last time he did miss the season, but he had he had he was coming back from an arm issue. This is a leg issue, so his arm he's had a lot of time to it's it's strong. His velocity should be there, and his command should be there. It's it's more about I think getting his legs back under him, which at this point in his career you'd hope that he can figure out the formula to that pretty fast. We covered Mike Leake, but in terms of what we learned, I'll talk about Matt Adams, a guy that. 
I think was sort of the forgotten man in the race for first base. And then even more so when Matt Holliday started taking reps there, at least in terms of how the fans were reacting, a guy that projected to hit 30 home runs first full year. He only hit 15, but he hit 288 and he was beating a shift altogether pretty pretty good effort for him in terms of what a sophomore year would look like then he loses all of 2015 he never really got to see what he could do he wasn't hitting very well but he didn't have much time to get out of it this spring uh, he looks more than anything confident and comfortable at the plate he's laid down a couple bunts to beat the shift Um, that's something that the team really really wanted him to show I don't know how much uh, they're willing to pay for a power hitter to bunt but He's doing that. Uh, we saw him take a left-handed pitcher opposite way out of the park. He's hitting to the left center gap. He seems to be able to use the whole field. And more than anything, he just looks at ease at the plate, which is something he he didn't really look like at all last year. I don't. That's what I saw, Mike. I don't know what, if, if you see the same things in his swing. He just seems a little bit more in rhythm. Yeah, I think that they put Holiday over there for a try and and also Moss to maybe light a fire under Adams. I think the Cardinals always believe that competition is beneficial. I would agree with them. I think that Adams has a little more urgency to his game. Uh, I think he looks as good as he's going to look. I don't think he's ever going to club left-handed pitchers, but I, I don't think you're going to find anybody that's going to do any better right now. What he can also offer is if – it comes down to the Matt Holiday playing first base or Brandon Moss winning the position is uh, power off the bench, left-handed power off the bench, which is something that has just flat out not existed in St. Louis in recent years. Uh, he joins Jed Jerko on the bench, a guy who has almost 50 home runs over the last three seasons. You know, Moss would play in that position. Even Tommy Pham, who we saw just launch a ball out of Roger Dean uh, yesterday, this is, for the first time, I think, in a long time, certainly since I've been covering the team regularly, this is the first time that Mike Matheny has guys who can, multiple guys, we'll say, because Mark Reynolds was on the team, though he ended up playing most of uh, the regular season as an everyday guy. This is the first time that there's been multiple options on that bench that aren't Tony Cruz, Daniel Descalzo, uh, Greg Garcia, Pete Cosma. This is the first time that really he can deploy some thumpers late in games. Yeah, that's true, and I think they've also learned, or, or maybe they already knew this but didn't have any choice, you cannot put people that you sign as bench players and put them on the field every day. That's not why you signed them. And Mark Reynolds was a bench player who played most of the season, and I, I, you know, you can't say that he was overly productive. Tony Cruz tried to replace Yachty for six weeks and clearly could not do that, and I think that's one of the reasons why they did not try Jerko Ed Short for the season. He can play it. But I think you need a major league shortstop. You need a guy there that can play that position. And you now have a guy on the bench or a guy to, to spell Wong or Tejada or even Carpenter if need be. So that that's his role. That's why he was signed, and that's what he needs to be. Well, and one of the other things we'll take away in terms of uh, role is a guy that got a lot of coverage very, very early in spring. Just about everything he did warranted an interview and lately has kind of faded into the background, which is where I think he prefers to be at this point, is Xiong Wan Oh, signed in the offseason, the prolific KBO closer, a guy who then went to the NPB and did very, very well, uh, considered probably the best international reliever. Uh, I don't want to say ever, I don't know the history, but he's, he's set career records in both leagues. He's come over, and the question is, okay, 
That is impressive, but does it translate to the major leagues? This is kind of the black diamond level of baseball. And from everything we saw in camp, from everything we've seen in the games, uh, Mike, I got to say, it looks like he his stuff plays. Yeah, there's no question in my mind watching him, uh, the way he conducts himself, his professionalism. He's not intimidated. His stuff is good. Uh, he knows how to attack hitters. He has a plan. He has a good sequence of pitches that he uses. And I think this is really going to help the Cardinals. This is an acquisition that maybe nobody really thought that much about. But it does a couple of things. One thing, it stops uh, Kevin Segrist from having to throw 81 more games. Last year, as I said in a recent column, I doubt he could even wave goodbye at the end of the year. He threw 84 games, counting the playoffs. That gives them an eighth-inning option. Uh, it also gives them a potential closer. Uh, if Rosenthal goes two, three days in a row and you don't want to use him again, uh, he's another guy that you've got to be careful of. I, th I thought Mike overused him uh, two years ago, uh, sometimes four games in a row. End of the year, I think he was exhausted. O can fill that role. And he's also uh, mature enough that, that the younger players respect him and look up to him. Uh, I think that was a great acquisition. Well, and his, his stuff as well gets a lot of admiration from a lot of the Cardinal receivers. You know, in camp he got caught by Mike Ullman, Carson Kelly, Yadier Molina has caught him, Brian Pena has caught him. Uh, and all of them say the same thing, that nothing is straight and that he can put anything he wants anywhere he wants, whenever he wants. And that's kind of the, the first two first two rules of Major League Pitching is command first and movement second, and he's got both of those things in spades. And one of the refrains that really kind of echoed throughout camp is everyone seemed to think that he had more that he wasn't showing, that he was almost slow playing his arsenal a little bit to kind of ease himself into it so that when he gets into the season, he's still got a little bit of mystery to him. Maybe that's true, maybe it's not, maybe it's just fun to think about, but the one thing we have seen is that he has a way of making hitters just miss the good part of the bat. They just can't get him squared up. And as the season goes on, Mike Matheny said he's one of the guys that's going to be a joy to catch because with that many pitches and that much movement, no hitter should ever see the same sequence twice. And it's, it's no shock that O and his translator, Eugene Koo, have spent a lot of time in the clubhouse talking to Yadier Molina. Uh, the, the two are kind of exchanging jokes. They exchanged uh, watches. Each of them had a watch that they showed the other one. Uh, they seem to kind of have a rapport being built. And that just goes back to the, uh, the thing you said about Yadier Molina that, you know, he can fill in that role for Okendo. He's kind of a leader in the clubhouse. He can kind of bridge the gap between certain guys. And the fact that, oh, who doesn't speak a lick of English and certainly no Spanish, uh, has already kind of formed a friendship with Yadier Molina, I think spells good things, uh, especially in the late games for the Cardinals, or late innings of games for the Cardinals. Kind of shifting from guys that we know are going to be contributing when we go to Pittsburgh here on April 3rd to guys that maybe – got a little bit of a look, aren't ready quite yet, but could be on the edge, could be making appearances here in 2016, names that we could see. These are guys that you've covered in single A, double A, now in triple A, now in spring training, guys that you've done some interviews with. Uh, who from the minor leagues that, that might not break camp uh, could, could be making an impact here or at least an appearance in the majors in 2016 for the Cardinals? 
Well, I'd look at Jeremy Hazelbaker as probably the number one candidate. He's an outfielder, so there's not really a spot for him. He's got left-handed power. He's fairly fast. Uh, this is a guy who was released by the Dodgers last year. He was in double-A ball, was not doing much. It was clear why they released him. Went home, sat for 10 days, and realized that he didn't like life without baseball, and he is just completely focused and dedicated. He just tore up uh, class double-A and triple-A for the Cardinals last year, got him an invite. And I don't think there's a spot for him coming out of camp, but I would call him the first man up if somebody goes down, particularly in the outfield. I'd take a look at Ledmus uh, Diaz later in the year as a possibility, uh, depending on how Tejada does. If Peralta comes back and reclaims his spot, Tejada could be trade bait for something else, and Diaz becomes his backup. That's a possibility. A couple other guys. I don't think that uh, Carlos Peguero is probably going to stick. He's got 103 games of Major League experience, but this would be his fifth team, and there's a reason the other four got rid of him. At the Major League level, he strikes out every other time, and even at the minor league level, he strikes out one out of three. However, when he hits a ball, it whistles. I mean, this guy can just flatten a side of a baseball. As Matheny said, he can miss hit a ball out of the park. He's 6'5", 260. Uh, when he hits a ball, it's great, but I'm not so sure that, that they can afford all the strikeouts, particularly late in the game when he would come in with men on base. They, they need contact. So he's an outside chance. Another guy that was kind of interesting in camp was Anthony Garcia. He's not ready yet. I think they wanted to give him a good look. I think he's a year or two away. John Mozalik has said that Matt Bowman is probably be a last-minute decision. Uh, they got him as a Rule 5 player from the Mets. He's looked good, and I think a lot of it depends on how Jordan Walden looks. He threw today. He looked fine. I think they're going to try him again on Wednesday. If he's got no arm issues, I would guess he would keep that spot rather than go on the DL. Uh, a couple other guys in the minors. Tim Cooney uh, is a spot starter probably for them by midseason. He's all uh, command and control. He doesn't have a lot of firepower, but he can really tie up hitters, so I would look is a possibility if one of the starters goes down, him or Tyler Lyons. Tyler Lyons is not a particularly exciting option. Uh, he's 5-9 and nine in his major league career, but, I mean, he could fill in a spot if he needed to. Now, obviously, Marco Gonzalez is down there, a uh, guy that kind of is, is working to reclaim some ground lost last year. And I'm going to ask you this question because this is a question that has already started um, on social media, talking about the team. Alex Reyes serving a suspension, obviously has uh, you know some time that he's going to lose, but can work on the field. Is is there a chance at all that the, his name is mentioned on a St. Louis roster at all in 2016? Well, I talked to Alex today, as a matter of fact, uh, and he continues to be very, very apologetic for his indiscretion. It was a bad decision. He knows he let down fans, organization, and particularly his family that put so much of their heart and soul into his career. I don't think Alex will make another mistake. Uh, I watched him pitch when Jaime Garcia went to the backfields to throw instead of throwing in a game. Alex Reyes threw against him. Alex, uh, his mechanics are very sound. His fastball is very heavy and very quick, and he's worked on a breaking ball that actually uh, gives hitters what we used to call jelly legs. Those legs are kind of wobbly because you can't tell if that thing's coming at your face or not. He looks really strong. Now, he's got to work on his command, uh, and he knows that. And as he said, I've got to be able to throw my breaking ball when I'm behind in the count. That's, that's key in a major league game. 
if Alex's career is going to progress, he's going to have to demonstrate not only his contrition, but his ability to command those pitches. I would say he could be a September call-up. I don't think he's quite ready, but he could be a September call-up. This guy's going to be a starter in the Cardinal rotation probably next year or certainly the year after that. He's got all the tools. He's big. He's got easy gas. He's got the body for it. He's a nice kid. Uh, We really want him to succeed, we meaning the people that know him. Uh, I think you could see him this year. Uh, I don't think you will until September. And that's a tough thing to predict, I know. Um, But there were people that before the suspension considered that he would be in contention for a bullpen role at the beginning of this season, to which I I would say that, you know, based on your coverage, he's not quite there yet because the secondary pitches aren't there. Um, As we talked about, I think it was with Jason Simontacci when we did a podcast with Alex and him, that essentially they can key it up to 120 in a batting cage and they can hit it right back out. So, you know, velocity helps, certainly, but you got to have secondary pitches and you got to have command and he could be there by September. I would say moving away from the speculative positives, let's move to some of the questions and maybe some of the questions slash concerns about the Cardinals based on what we've seen, you know, almost the entire grapefruit league schedule. We've seen all of camp, uh, all the drills, all the live BP, all the side sessions, everything else. Um, Moving into what are the biggest question marks going forward in 2016, and I'll start this off with Yadier Molina. Uh, You know, out of of the game today with a bruise, it was minor. Uh, He's expected to be day-to-day. But this is a guy that's worked back from his second thumb surgery on his glove hand uh, in his, I don't know, about six, seven months. He had the surgery in the offseason. It didn't take. He had to have it again. He's worked his way back to receiving. He's catching in games. He's run a couple simulations of that exact play that tore that thumb ligament in a spring game. No hesitation there. Everyone seems fine with his defensive ability, but it doesn't appear that he has any of the hand strength necessary uh, to bat effectively at the major league level. Yeah, that's true, and, and Matheny addressed that, that he, he knows that Yadier needs a lot of repetitions at the plate. He needs to get his, his rhythm and his timing, uh, but your point is, is well taken. He does not have the hand strength yet to, to drive a baseball. Uh, the question was asked of Matheny, would you sacrifice his offense just for, to have his defense because clearly he, he makes, you know, he, he's the guy that makes it go. And Matheny didn't really answer that, but I think pretty clearly the, the answer is yes. I would rather have him behind the plate. But the problem with, with Yadier is there's only one speed, and that's full full go. And if it would help him to be maybe behind at camp for 15 days to work on his hitting, uh, that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. I think there's a sense of urgency, though, and this is one of the reasons why Tejada was signed. Uh, this is a very tough di- division. The Cubs and the Pirates, are, uh, you can't let them get eight or nine games ahead of you by the All-Star break, and, and I think that they're feeling that. And, and, I mean, that can be good and that can be bad. But I wouldn't rush Molina, but, I mean, he's the only one that knows whether or not he's ready, and he does not look particularly ready at the moment. Well, and that's the issue with anything involving the hands or the wrists at the plate. I mean, you talked to Peter Borges. It took him a full year to feel like was 100% with his wrist. John Jay never got back to 100% at the plate, and he had the wrist issue last year. Molina's now 
both hands have been torn apart, and his the hand that he's working back to get strength in is b- being abused pretty much every game as he crouches down there, and guys are hitting it with 90, 95. He's taking foul tips. He's taking you know, balls that bounce in the dirt. So I, I wonder how long it'll take him. And even you, you wrote about this, that you know, you, you've damaged your wrist, and it takes forever to feel like you have 100% of your strength and flexibility back. And if you're – this isn't his top hand. It's not his power hand. But at the same time, comfort is everything at the plate and I think Cardinals could see a lot of rolled over ground balls to the left side and a lot of pop-ups to the right side uh, well into the season as he, he tries to build build his strength back up and I think that could be a problem because my second question and, and really this is your question because you've, you've brought this up a couple times as we've watched these games is all right that's essentially a, a dead cartridge in a lineup that doesn't look at this point, particularly threatening. Yeah, he's been experimenting with different lineups because the Cardinals seem to be able to get base runners, but they can't get them over and they can't get them in. And rallies just die. I mean, the other night, uh, Jerko ran past Matt Adams uh, on a ball that Brian Pena one hopped the wall with two men on, and we get, get, got no runs. So either they're shooting themselves in the foot or they can't move runners along. He had Piscotty bat in second today, and he had Wong back down in the order. I think he's looking for some combination that you get somebody on, you can get him over. Scotty's good at that, uh, but you can't be experimenting with your lineup during the regular season. You have to know where people are going, and the Cardinals' offensive ability to score is not not very strong. Well, and, in, and before we move to the uh, the final question here, I, out of curiosity, where how would you structure this lineup? And let's say you can just pick your first baseman. And, and you know your your regular guy, and assume that Peralta is out for the first half of the year. I think my ideal lineup: Carpenter, Piscotty second, Holiday third. You got to give Adams or Grichik a shot there. I'd say probably Grichik fourth, and then you really run into some trouble because if Adams is swinging big, you got to you got to put him down there in fifth. But then after that, you're looking at. Tejada and Molina, who can't hit, and then Wong, where he's been bumped down there in the eighth spot. I'd say that if Grichik is your four hitter, Wong is your five, Adams is your six, Tejada seven, Molina eight, pitcher nine. That's the way I'm looking at it in terms of if you want to have any damage, um, that gives you six spots in the order that can all hit home runs and all have relatively good uh, on base percentages, but I mean, you're looking at three guaranteed outs at the back end because Tejada is fine. He's he's good enough, but I mean, he's not a game changer. And if you have Molina that's not healthy, I mean, is that the best way to structure this? Well, there's a new philosophy in making up lineups because people have realized that every position in the batting order gets 10 more than the one behind it. So over the course of a season, Matt Carpenter will bat 10 more times than who's ever batting second, and that person will bat 10 more times than who's ever batting third. So a lot of teams have gone toward front-loading their lineup because you want your best hitters to hit first or hit often. And so that's not necessarily a bad lineup, but what always happens late in the game is 7, 8, and 9, uh, you got three guys that aren't going to get on base. You can't really substitute Molina. You may or may not want to take Tejada out of a ball game. So you got three outs down there. And there's a lot of times when you'll get a couple of guys on, you get down to the bottom of the order, you got nothing. 
So I know that there's been experiments like taking a guy like Tejada, moving him to second, or taking a guy like Wong, moving him to second. But they got to be contact hitters. They've got to be able to move the ball because they're going to bat more often. So that's the dilemma. Until Peralta comes back, we've got a couple of dead spots in the lineup that are going to be very hard to overcome. Where do you see Colton Wong, who has spent the spring very uh, evidently working on his discipline at the plate, where do you see him best fitting in this lineup? Do you see him as a guy near the top, or do you see him as a guy near the bottom where he's been? In my opinion, he belongs at the top. Now, you got to think of a couple of things. One is Carpenter's left-handed, and so is Wong. Do you want to start the game with two left-handers, particularly if you're facing left-handed pitching? I think Wong has the speed. He has the ability to drive a baseball. Uh, I think you got to give him a shot at two. I, I don't know what good it does to bat him eighth with, with all that speed and that potential power. So I would put him up there myself. I would put him second uh, and let him play. And he's high risk, high reward. You know, Carpenter is not really a leadoff man. I mean, he's, he's a great player, but he's not the classic leadoff man. Uh, he's more of a, a two, three, or a four hitter. And the Cardinals have a lot of two, three hitters, but we don't have a lot of four or five hitters. Ideally, Wong bats leadoff because he's fast, but he always gets behind in the count 0-2. He swings a lot of balls that he shouldn't, and pitchers just seem to know how to pitch him, and that's why he's not been a very effective number two hitter. So these are dilemmas. We don't have on the Cardinals any true leadoff man in the, in the classic sense, and we have a lot of guys that can hit the ball, but we don't have a lot of predictable hitters other than Matt Holliday. Well, that's really interesting. You mentioned that is there is no there's a classic leadoff man profile in terms of Colton Wong and a classic leadoff man in results in Matt Carpenter, but neither of them has really in application fit exactly what you'd want at the leadoff man. Obviously, Matt Carpenter hitting all you know nearly 30 home runs last year. You'll take that, especially if he's the guy getting the most at bats, but. I think it's a waste of Colton Wong to be batting him down low in the order because especially if he bats eight and he gets on, the pitcher can't drive him in. The idea is he, he bunts him over, but if Wong doubles, you know, then you, you really you have no one who can drive him in. The best they can do is move him a station up. So I think it's a waste of his speed. But you need OBP to be up at the top, and that's, that's not his strong suit right now. Uh, last question and kind of same as, as, as where you see Colton Wong, is who's going to play first base for this team? Is it going to be one guy? Is it going to be a group of guys? Um, my vote, at least early on, in terms of what we've seen, I'd say Matt Adams is your opening day first baseman, and it's his job to lose. Do you agree? Well, I think it should be. Uh, one, one last thought on Matt Carpenter. He isn't a classic leadoff man. He does have 28 home runs, but he also strikes out a lot for a leadoff man. At least he did last year. I mean, that's the kind of guy, you know, is, is that really the best use of, of his abilities to bat him leadoff, particularly if he's going to strike out a lot? He's got a profile now of a power hitter rather than, than a leadoff man. But the counter to that would be he also sees the most pitches of any guy in the lineup and – uh, the most of almost anybody in baseball in terms of pitches per plate appearance, and on bait he draws walks. He does strike out more than than the 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 classic profile, but I'd say that his ability to see pitches and draw walks makes him a, a closer fit in terms of results. I see a lot of pitches. Uh, he he aggravates pitchers. He won't chase pitches. He's also a very good two strike hitter. So I mean he. 
he rescues his ability to be a leadoff man because he has those things. Uh, but, I mean, ideally those things would be just fine in a number two hitter, too. Uh, now, to your question, I can't think of one time in, in baseball that a platoon of players has been successful. And I'm sure somebody will say, oh, yeah, but you forgot, and, and they're probably right. You really can't platoon people, not at this level. Uh, you can platoon them a little bit on a lefty-righty basis, maybe in the playoffs or something. But over the course of the season, you got to play somebody. And I think Brandon Moss can play there, but Matt Adams is the first baseman. And if he's not the first baseman, then they need to trade him or find somebody else. But you can't keep running somebody out there according to you know, the day of the week or something. Moss is left-handed too, so it's not really going to help you very much against left-handers. I'd go with Adams. I'd let him play. Uh, you got to remember this guy was a stud for you two years ago. Uh, he's 27. They have player control. Uh, this is his year. I mean, if he doesn't, if he hits 210 and, and can't move the ball, then I'm sorry. You know, he didn't he didn't work out. But I'd give him every opportunity. Well, and he's the guy they want to have the job, right? I mean, a, a young lefty first baseman, probably the best glove out of the crop of, of guys that are available there, and he's cost-controlled. I mean, he's he's exactly what Mosaic tries to draw up when he brings these guys up. One thought is, is there a possibility here that – Adams or Moss gets dealt. Uh, we see a, a move to shift into right field, and Stephen Piscotty is moved to first base full-time. Or is this something – I get the impression, given that he's not gotten a single start over at first base, that he hasn't really, apart from his own work in the offseason, uh, been trained much at first base here in spring, that the idea of moving him to first was a temporary one last season. I don't think that he's a first baseman. He played third, and the Cardinals told him that they felt that his future uh, was in the outfield, and, and he told me in an interview last year that he felt very comfortable there, that the Cardinals were right. He can extend his throw. Uh, he's a tall guy. He's, he's got a lot of range. Uh, he, he's an outfielder, and that's where he belongs. Uh, you know, can they trade Adams? Yeah, I suppose they can, but, you know, I don't know what they're going to get for him if he's not playing well, and you're not going to trade him if he is playing well. And who's going to give up anything to a team that perennially wins the division? So, you know, the Cardinals are kind of stuck here. They're going to have to try him. They're going to have to use him. Uh, Moss, if the Cardinals aren't playing well, uh, he, could, he might bring some interest from an American League team. But he's clearly at the end of his career. Yeah, I would agree. I think he's, as you put uh, in one of your most recent stories, one last thrust uh, toward victory. And for a guy that's really lost almost two full seasons to injury in terms of at least his psychology. I think he's just happy to be playing what he believes to be fully healthy baseball and kind of whatever, whatever, however the chips fall, he'll be happy with it. Well, we're, uh, we're bumping up here to 40 minutes. This is the final podcast of spring. I thank you guys for listening. Uh, this is the Baseball SDL Podcast brought to you by Dave Sinclair Ford. I'm J.J. Bailey. You can follow me on Twitter at the J.J. Bailey. You can follow Mike on Twitter at MikeBailey4. Next time you'll be hearing our voices, we'll be real live, regular season baseball podcasting. That'll be Sunday is opening day, and we should be on the air in a, a week from today. So thank you for listening, and we'll see you again soon.